check out past episodes, transcripts, blogs, and more on our website, dojo.nearsoft.com. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Dojo Live. Today is Thursday, October 21st, 2021. I'm Tulio Sergusa, broadcasting from Southern California. Joining me today are Carlos Ponce in Cuernavaca, Mexico, the city of eternal spring. Welcome <laughs> to the show, Carlos. <laughs> and thank you. Joining us from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a beautiful, sunny Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania today, Michael Wood with Inciting Health. Hi, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hi, guys. Great to be here. <laughs> so we're going to be having a very good conversation today about uh, health care. And before we get into the topic of conversation, let's get to know you a little bit. You're the Chief Strategy Officer at Inciting Health. Tell us a little bit about you, Michael. Please introduce yourself. And once again, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so uh, I... I've had a kind of interesting uh, background to, to get to where I am today. Um, I, I started off uh, kind of, I've always had a passion about change, always from being a kid. Um, I've always enjoyed kind of futuristic things and especially when that comes to innovation. And so I think that's always been kind of something I've enjoyed throughout my career is the ability to kind of look at the future and change things. Um, and that, that's kind of been, you know, a passion of mine from, from a, a an early age. I think it, how that's translated throughout my career is that I've done a lot of different kind of things. If you look at job titles, but actually really what it boils down to is transforming something from one state to a better state, um, and bringing along the people as part of that, that journey. Um, that's often an, an overlooked area when things are either growing, scaling, transforming, um, is how do you actually, you know, handle the human change elements of that? So that's something I've always had a real passion about. Um, and with that kind of futuristic kind of view, but also, you know, knowing how the nuts and bolts fit together on a daily basis, um, I've been involved in some pretty interesting, um, you know, engagements, um, and that's varied from, you know, in the UK, I was a public servant for many years and dealt with their kind of large-scale public services transformation programs, which at the time were huge. Um, and when I moved, emigrated to the US in my 30s, um, I got involved in healthcare, which, uh, again, an industry I, I knew a little bit about, you know, a tiny bit. Um, and that's evolved um, since I've been here. So that kind of ability to work across industries and uh, tie things together as well from not only, you know, providing that different perspective. So obviously I bring a, you know, a, a wealth of UK experience and European experience in as well. So that's the kind of, uh, you know, the, the, the more professional journey. Um, in my spare time, I'm a huge fan of uh, Nottingham Forest. Um, they aren't a Premier League team, but they're uh, they're almost there. They're very big in the 70s. Um, so, uh, so yeah, that's my that's my other vice um, when I'm not working. Nice. Thanks for joining us today, Michael. Tell us a little bit about your company, Insiding Health. What gave birth to the company? What was the idea behind it? And 
what is it that you guys do today? Well, again, it's a it's an interesting kind of story there um, for me personally, because it, it stemmed from um, I worked for a, an insurance payer um, health plan uh, here in Western PA, and I worked as part of their uh, quality organization. Um, and at the time, that was uh, kind of at the beginning of the ACA, uh, the inception of the ACA. So it was changing the organization from that kind of fee-for-service traditional model um, into more of a value-based care model and really setting the company up for success in retaining and achieving those kind of quality bonus payments. Um, so with that background, we were very successful um, in that engagement. And, you know, as part of that, one of the things that... Um, uh, we built was a, a tool, uh, basically an IT, IT tool that would look across the organization and provide um, information and educational points for people um, who called in. So members who basically called in and wanted a bit of information. Um, how could we change that conversation from more of a reactive, hey, I've got a question about my bill, into, hey, are you getting the right preventative care that you need? Um, and changing that more into a kind of an educational opportunity and an opportunity as well just to gauge the pulse of the, the member. You know, how are they feeling? How happy were they? Now, that's we're talking eight, nine years ago here. Um, and actually, what what led me to my current role was our, our vendor that we used uh, to build that what we call the gap board um, is our founder and CEO at Insight, uh, Enum North. Um, so I worked closely with Enum on building that technology and he and I saw things very, very similarly in terms of we understood that what healthcare was holding healthcare back from being a more optimized industry wasn't a lack necessarily of data, it was a lack of usability of that data and also timeliness of it. Um, so that that's... So that, that one piece of work that we did there, um, that led into the, the, the product we have today, the Engage platform, um, which aims to connect, um, you know, that, that ecosystem, that, that whole member journey um, from, you know, from right from the point of view of I want health insurance or I need health insurance. What are my options? Right through to, okay, I need a new plan. How do I find a new plan? Now, in the middle is where the messiness happens because really what you've got there is a lot of different organizations who are, um, you know, providing the member with various parts of that, that journey. And a lot of the time that's disconnected. Even with the health plan, that's totally disconnected a lot of the time. So what we do is we aim to make sense of that um, by you know providing that that data that kind of joins the whole system together or the whole ecosystem, um, so that you can see basically what's happening elsewhere within that member journey, and then you can be more informed when you have a conversation with that member and build their trust. Um, so that's the that's kind of how we we came to be. Uh, that was back in 2017. I was employee number two, um, so it was wow. you know very very early stage. Um, and at that point, we, you know, we, we had one contract, one client, um, you know, we've, we've, we've grown in revenue, uh, I think 170% growth, uh, year on year. Um, you know, we're, we're now cover over, you know, 
five million lives in the in the platform nationwide in every state. Um, and we've got an 18% market share just in terms of, you know, members today that are on the platform. So it's really grown from that very first kind of idea um, to where it is today. It's been wow. rapid and, okay. and exciting. That's, that's great. <laughs> Congratulations. Congratulations. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let's yeah. see what we can learn and unpack uh, today. Carlos, would you please uh, introduce the topic and the question we're going to try to answer today? Of course. Let's get right Thank in. Of course, thank you, Tulio. And of course, thanks, uh, Michael, for being with us today. So today, we're going to be answering one question. That question is, how can AI and predictive analytics directly benefit the individual patient? And to answer this question, Michael has chosen as a topic for today's conversation, the growing consumerization of healthcare, as mm -hmm. this is the topic is chosen by Michael. First question that I have for you, Michael, is... Why did you choose this particular topic for today? And why did you feel it was uh, relevant for today's day and age? Let's start from there, please. Thank you. Okay, so there's a couple of things there that I think um, are important factors. Um, the first one, I think, is that um, the demand from consumers themselves, so healthcare consumers, are that they want a simple and a more transparent experience. Um, they want to trust what their health plan tells them. Um, and they, they really want that kind of, um, that ability for the health plan to guide them along their journey. I think that's the, the first change. Um, so the, the industry is kind of ripe for that change right now. You've seen other industries go through a similar transformation, whether that be retail or fintech. Um, and healthcare now is really adopting a lot of those different innovations from those industries to drive that kind of next level experience in healthcare. Now, the, the other driver to this as well is, um, we talked about the ACA a few minutes ago, and um, when that first adopt, when that was first adopted, um, it focused very much on raising the standards of preventative care. Um, obviously, with the theory being prevention is cheaper than cure. Um, what's happened as an evolution of that program is now the the way that quality bonus payments are going to be structured, um, the way that basically plans are going to be scored and measured, a lot of that is going to come down to the experience that the member has with their plan. And so in order to, to, to understand whether that's a good experience today and to build that experience of tomorrow, plans really need to um, embrace that as a concept that basically, you know, gone are the days of consumers accepting that mm -hmm. their experience is going to be disconnected um mm -hmm. so those two those two things i think are are big drivers um behind the change so basically the way it's funded and the quality side of it and i think just basically market demand um right. has, has led to that Okay. Uh, before I pass it on to Tulio, thank you. First of all, thank you for answering the, the for introducing the the topic. The I would like to ask you, for those who are watching who might not have an exact idea what it means, would you mind explaining what does the consumer consumerization of healthcare mean, or what are you trying to to imply about okay. the consumerization of healthcare? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a simple concept if you apply it to our everyday life with, for instance, Amazon. We all shop on Amazon today. 
Mm-hmm. Um, well, with Amazon, there are certain things that we um, expect. For instance, we expect a simple way of shopping. We also now, as part of our everyday lives, we expect recommendations, reviews. If there's a problem, how do we do that seamlessly? And, and um, you know, how do we tie all that all that together? Um, so I think I think in terms of if you're seeing it in other industries, you want your you. I want my healthcare to be like that, basically, as a consumer. I mean, mm-hmm. part of part of my passion here as well is when I moved to the states, um, I found the healthcare system probably one of the most confusing things to interface with. It was just oh, and even when I rang my plan, they mm-hmm. couldn't tell me what I need to do next. They it was it was almost like you know the blind leading the blind, um, and so at, at that point. Um, I think just being able to to help people navigate a very complex thing. And just one second. Sorry about that. <laughs> Sorry about that. I need to mute all my devices. Okay. That's <laughs> it. Lesson learned. <laughs> yeah, lesson learned. Exactly. Sorry I thought it was that. time for a commercial break. <laughs> no, no, no. Let's just time's up. Not really. Not really. Not time's really. up. It's a game show. <laughs> yeah, that's what makes it human. It makes it okay. It makes us human. Okay. Anyway, I'm sorry. Exactly. So, so yeah, I think I think you know we we see that every day with Amazon. We also experience that with even things like Netflix and entertainment, where you know if you watch this, then this might be the next thing you want to do. So why should healthcare be any different? And I think consumers are really, you know, that's that's the experience they're seeking today. Um, it's an yeah. interesting uh, dilemma, to say the least. I remember years ago uh, when companies were trying to improve their customer success or customer service functions, they would often look not to other companies that they were competing with, mm-hmm. but they would look to some of the leading companies uh, companies that had were well known for creating exceptional customer experiences at the yep. time for example i'm dating myself 20 years ago at the time for example american express was known as providing exceptional service so if you were a telecom company with large customer call centers you want to model yourself to create that kind of experience uh and then obviously that has evolved today to more self-service we've moved away from calling and going into the branch or what have you and everything's online. So everyone's been turned into an employee today, right? (laughs) And self-service is always good service because you're the one doing it. Um, But with that comes new challenges, right? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you create a satisfactory experience or, you know, and the gold to a lot of people for what it looks like online is, you know, their experience with Amazon. So I rightfully hear about that uh, example. When it comes to healthcare, it has been messy and complicated for most consumers. So how does this help make that shift? And how do the consumers benefit from it directly? Do they get to participate in this process? Do they have access to these tools? Or is it only for the companies that license this technology, this platform, that then enables them to provide a better service to those end customers? How does it work specifically? Yeah. So t- today it's it's primarily B two B. It is B two B. So it's you know the payers, the health plans are using this tool internally to help connect that those different um, verticals or those different branches of their organisation together. 
Um, I do see a future where, you know, that that could be obviously, you know, a member facing, um, you know, solution. Uh, and and just some of the some health plans, you know, not all health plans are are kind of, you know, uh, coming out of the dark ages, as it were. Um, there are there is a lot of innovation out there. And I think some of the plans that really invest in that experience and they invest in tooling today, those digital tools to help um, their members, I think they're the ones that are, are going to benefit from the changes in waiting that make it more difficult for those other ones to reach those kind of quality standards, um, as it were. Now, I know you had another question in there and I, I, I lost it. So uh, <laughs> what was the other point? <laughs> Uh, well, I'm just curious about how the consumer participates, right? So, how do you, how does the provider learn what is sort of next? Because I, I mean, I'm hearing you introduce this idea of the customer lifecycle, which is very common for retailers, mm -hmm. uh, and there's tools and all kinds of AI technologies to enable that. But in healthcare, how do, how does that work? Like, how how does a provider or a healthcare or insurance provider know perhaps or predict that maybe I'm going down the path of developing diabetes and there's some preventative things I ought to do. How does it figure things like that out? Because it's a little bit more personal. There's HIPAA, there's all these other compliance challenges. So how do you crack the code on that to involve the consumer in, the, in that process? I think it's a number of things. I think, first of all, we talked about um, a few moments ago, we talked about the fact that healthcare as an entity doesn't like data. It, hmm. it lacks actually joining that data together into make it, making it into actionable activity. So when you, when you look at that, a lot of the data that you're talking about, for instance, if somebody is showing a trend towards prediabetes, for instance, at the moment, your health plan is probably, um, unless you've either answered a direct question or you have visited the doctor recently, the health plan's probably unaware of that, okay? Now, where I think technology like ours helps the health plan is that we we look deeper than just what's happening with, you know, we, we look into like, you know, the activity, did them, when the member went to the doctor, did they provide, you know, any kind of feedback? Were they satisfied with that, with that visit? Was there a problem? Are they calling into member services? Do they have any concerns? Are there things that we know from the data that we have, and also looking at other groups or other personas that look like that member, are there things that other people are experiencing too, and they're likely to be happening to this member? This is where you know some of the advanced kind of machine learning AI kind of comes into it, because really at that point you're 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 starting to say, well, look, I'm having a conversation with this person, and all these different attributes, I'm I'm understanding them as they come in. And as they come in, they're changing what that conversation is going to be, um, depending on the, you know, how good is that data? How reliable is it? You know, the, all those different models that basically say, okay, you know, if it reaches a certain percentage, then that's probably a good, um, you know, a, a, what's the word, a good benchmark. Um, and obviously, healthcare, they need to be high. Um, Does it bring uh, in the Michael, practitioner? I'm sorry, if I could just do one more follow-up. Oh, no, if, yeah, yeah, please. Does it, bring, does it bring in the practitioner as well, the healthcare provider? So, for example, 
you know, a study was done long ago that showed certain patients that were doing aspirin therapy who had heart conditions or cardiovascular issues had less reoccurrences of being, you know, ending up in the hospital than those that were not on aspirin therapy. So does this kind of insight help also the practitioners perhaps get, you know, be able to provide better care to their patient for through examples of other patterns? How does that, how do they get brought into the process? So yeah, actually, yeah, there's a great practical example there. And that is, yes, they, they basically, if you imagine, if you imagine, you know, everybody who's connected to that member journey has a view, has their view of not only what they are doing within that member journey, but also the things that are either side of it. So, you know, a, a simple example and a valid one there is, okay, somebody goes in the hospital for um, a particular, you know, treatment and they get discharged. Well, one of the things that you want to avoid is a readmission. You know, you, A, that's a, that's a target that you want to keep low. You don't want to have many more readmits because it's more expensive. It's also showing that somewhere along the lines that post-care hasn't worked. So if you look at that just as a, a series of almost like gates that the member goes through, you've got that, okay, when they leave the hospital, did they get the discharge papers? Did they get the, the, the right pharmacy information? Did they get, you know, were they provided, for instance, with, um, the right contact information. If they had a problem, where were the, where what were their escalation routes? Those kind of things. When you start to then be able to say to a member, okay, this is what's going to happen now. If any of these things that we're tracking suddenly go off the rails, so for instance, if they had a heart monitor, um, once once you start to see those things, that's when you can ping the provider in this case and say, hey. That patient that, you know, Mrs. Smith that got discharged last week, um, she's now actually got a temperature and, you know, she's she's kind of, you know, got some elevated levels. We might want to consider an outreach to her. That's that's much more proactive than it is today, where the doctor a lot of the time only knows that you've been in the hospital. Like when you show back up at the, uh, the, the surgery with a bag full of meds that you got from the, the hospital and you need everything resetting. So, so that, that's a, that's a good, um, <laughs> that's a good, uh, a good kind of example there of how you can bring in the providers. Michael, uh, we're discussing in greater detail, the, the, the numerous aspects of, of what insight inciting is about well, the AI and uh, uh, the tech component. At a, at a very, very fine granular level, which is very interesting for, for a lot of people. But if I were to ask you from, let's call it from the humanistic standpoint, and broadly speaking, would you say that in these matters, healthcare, AI, do you, would you say that we're witnessing the, uh, some kind of digital transformation of oh, the yeah. doctor-patient connect? Or everything. not really? What do you think? Yeah. No, I think I think everything. I think the, I think as, as well as that, the, you know, there's obviously the the the, you know, the, this year's kind of you know elongated episode of the pandemic that that's changed everything too. So yes, it's changing things both clinically. Um, you know, artificial intelligence in particular. Um, you're seeing things like radiologists, for instance, and radiology departments in, in effect, they, they won't be around in a few years because 
AI has now got to a level where they've proved that they're more accurate than a radiologist and you can get instant results. So you're, you're going to see less of, of, you know, those traditional kind of roles and more on the, you know, making sure that, again, going back to those kind of benchmark standards, that's where you've got to put a lot more into making sure that the model is as accurate as it can be. Because, again, you're talking about health. So we all want to know that, yes, you know, my x-ray has been checked and it's 99.9% accurate. Whereas if it was being looked at by a human, it would, you know, might be only 90%. Um, so that that's, I think, you know, in terms of, you know, that's one side of it. Then I think in terms of how you actually interface and interact with your health, I think as a consumer, that's going to change. Um, you know, the, the, the current administration have said by 2030, they want a primary digital experience for healthcare. Um, so, you know, you're, you're seeing both clinically things change, operationally things change. And I think even on the consumer side, you're seeing things change. And yes, it does change the relationship with your doctor where, you know, that traditional face-to-face, -face, it's, it's, mm -hmm. it's not as, um, as, as important as it used to be. Right, right. Okay, uh, yeah, I, I have one more question and then I'll pass it on to Tulio. Okay, again, we're discussing how to directly benefit the individual patient, right? So in that sense, would you say that things like AI and predictive analysis could uh, contribute at the preventive level at some point instead of fixing things like, oh, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm broken, I'm sick or whatever. Now I'm going to have, I'm going to heal through AI or AI is going to help me. Can this work at the preventive level? And if so, how would this happen? I absolutely is the answer. And I think a great example of that is actually diabetes. And if you look at, if you look at, the treatment of diabetes is the treatment of diabetes. Without a cure, it's still going to exist. So mm -hmm. that's where I think you can start to actually look at how can we, how can we fully scientifically kind of pin the nail on the, you know, this is about diet and it's about other things that actually contribute to us in later stage life developing, you know, either type two or type one diabetes. I think you can, you can definitely use. AI and the power of AI to not only look at some of the 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 you know the symptoms and the drug benefits and things like that, which I think can really be supercharged with AI. I think the other thing that you can look at is those root causes and really come back to okay, if we fix this in 40 years, we're not going to have this problem. Now that that's a difficult sell for people who aren't playing the long game, um, mm -hmm. you know. But right. at the end of the day, that is. That to me is where the power of all this great technology, that's where it can really come into its own, that it can actually stop these issues at source mm -hmm. rather than it just being, a, hey, we've developed this pill. That's great, but it's not going to actually, you know, it's going to make you feel better, but it's not really going to ever solve the problem. Um, so that, that, I, that, and that, that's more altruistic on my part. Okay. That, you know, <laughs> yeah, I, I yeah. see that. Um, yeah. What are the challenges with that? I mean, when it comes to medicine, it's predominantly post uh, the problem, right? When it comes to alternative medicine, it, you know, that's predominantly what people use for preventative purposes, whether it's sure. holistic uh, approaches or 
you know, chiropractic, you know, um, vitamins, herbs, what have you. There's a number of different uh, ways to prevent disease and to stay healthy, but it's not always recognized <laughs> as an effective approach. And yet you have countless cases of people that, you know, uh, will swear up and down about uh, their favorite vitamin or what have you or supplement sure. that helps them avoid uh, a fatty liver, for example, right? Milk thistle, for example. But yeah. that's not recognized as a medical type of treatment. So what's the sort of challenge here between marrying medicine to deal with problems and get more effective at doing that and supporting patients better in doing that? And also prevention, which is not always tied to medicine. As you said, it could be diet, could be lifestyles, could be yeah. supplements and things of that sort. Where do you see the challenge and the opportunity there to bridge these two sciences that sometimes are mostly at odds today at least here in the u.s they're at odds i think it comes down to choice i think that's a good way of tackling that problem in the as a as a member i want to have the choice mm -hmm. so yeah if i want to if i hurt my back um and it's always it's a poor example but if i hurt my back i might not want to take a pill but i might want to go to uh, either a chiropractor or to an acupuncture clinic, for instance, mm -hmm. I should I should be able to a be educated on the best one of those for me and my circumstances. But I should have that option. Um, you know, again, it comes down to choice. So I think I think expanding the choices that people can have within their plan benefits, I think, is one one way that it could be tackled. And again, you know, that there's. I, I often look over to, to, to Europe for some of that uh, kind of thinking too. And in Europe, holistic medicine is much more accepted and mm -hmm. much more common. And so I think, again, you know, as, a, as an industry, as a, as a, you know, administration, overseeing body, whatever, I think we have to be more open um, to the fact that people do have different lifestyle choices. And at the end of the day, as long as they can, they can take the path they want to take. I think that's good. And one of the risks there to that is, is obviously privacy and data. Um, you know, people are already, you know, people are, everybody is concerned with, you know, security. But I think when it comes to your healthcare in particular, it's one of those things that you, you wouldn't want that falling into the wrong hands. Um, so, I, you know, I think that being able to, explain why you need maybe a piece of data or how that's going to improve you know if you tell us this we'll be able to tell you these things it's a bit like you know what you see on the ancestry app i know that when i did my dna swab there um i had to then there was like you know questionnaires and they were all trends or traits to do with you know my, my dna and just be answering those questions actually narrowed it down much further so i th i think you know some sort of um process like that where and it comes back to putting the putting the power of this in the consumer's hands. I think that's where it ultimately needs to sit, because that's the only way that it will you'll get mass adoption um, and trust, which is the most important thing. You know, it's um, that that's that's always a bit of a thorny a thorny wicket to kind of bat on. <laughs> yeah. Well, it sounds as though we have a long way to go, but uh, technology can certainly help bridge the gaps and hopefully we can learn how to uh, create a hybrid type of approach to healthcare, not just yeah. one or the other. So thanks for being with us. We're out of time. 
thanks for being with us today. We really appreciate it. Uh, wish you continued success. Uh, this is definitely something that's needed. Uh, I certainly might have access to it. I want more control over my health care and what happens. And so I'm sure there's millions of others who feel the same way. So yeah, me too. <laughs> exactly. So it's good to know that there's companies working on making that possible and, and uh, democratizing where appropriate uh, uh, the healthcare. Thanks for being with us today. Stay with us as we go off the air in a minute. Um, join us back on Monday at 12 o'clock Pacific as we do the recap show. We will recap three shows, three live shows from this week. And uh, what do we got coming up in terms of guests for next week, Carlos? Sure. We got three shows, Tulio. We got a full week ahead. On Tuesday, we got Unum ID, E-U-N-U-M-I-D. Uh, -E uh, and then that is a, a passwordless identification card, which uh, I don't have the, the topic yet, but should be as interesting of all of our Dojo Live interviews. And then on Wednesday, we're going to be speaking with... Uh, we're going to be having, um, sorry about that, uh, I lost the, the, the thread here, Dave Landa at Kintone, that's on Wednesday, and finally on Thursday we're going to be speaking with uh, Anthony, <coughs> excuse me, Anthony Molson at E, I, I'm sorry if I mispronounce it, Aegis Flow. So that's what we have for next week. We have a full week ahead. So everybody join us right here on Dojo Live. Don't miss any of the shows. And remember, stay safe. Stay safe. <laughs>